we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 10, looking specifically at uh, verses uh, 9 to uh, 11 today, but we're going to be reading through verse 14. We're continuing to work our way through the text in terms of how Jesus discipled his disciples. To be a Christian means that you follow Christ. To be a Christian means that you live the life that Christ lived, which means ultimately that he is the disciple maker. He tells us how we are to discipline our lives, how we are to be his disciples. To be a disciple is to be one who disciplines their life to follow a certain pattern of conduct. And so Christ, um, he has these 12 guys that are following him. And uh, we have talked about who these individuals were for the last several months. We went through and looked at each one individually. And what we have concluded is that they're a lot like you and me. Uh, A lot of individuals, when they reflect on the 12 apostles, they see these guys who are sort of giants among men. And it's true that they did accomplish some supernatural, spectacular, extraordinary things. But what I don't want you to miss is that even though God used them to accomplish spectacular and extraordinary things, they, they were just like you and me. They were ordinary fishermen, the vast majority of them, from northern Israel, from Galilee. And yet he called these guys out and he said, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. No longer fishermen, but man catchers. Catching men and teaching them what it is to have eternal life. And so as we as a church want to be Christ followers, that is disciples, not just calling ourselves Christian, not just Christian in name only, but true Christians. We want to live the life that Christ has taught us to live. And so that's what we're working our way through, Matthew chapter 10. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. If you will, look with me. We're going to read the text. We're going to pray. We'll take a moment to pray, ask God to open our minds to understand what he has to say to us today, and then we will get to work. Matthew chapter 10, we'll pick it up in verse 5 and go through verse 14. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace come return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we understand that a part of what it means to walk like you walked, like your son walked, part of what it means to be a Christian is to go, preach, and give. We understand that, Father. Help us to understand the deeper truth here, Father, that first and foremost, we must be a people who trust and who have faith in you to accomplish your work through us. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Can you bear uncertainty? 
Are you the type of person where you need to know where the next paycheck is coming from? Are you the type of person where you need to know unequivocally how things are going to turn out? Whether you will get the job, whether your child will overcome this massive math test that they've got on Friday? Are you the type of person where you need to know that everything is going to be okay? And not only that, you need to know how it's going to be okay. Now, there is a precedent for that. I'm not in, by any means telling you that you should be foolish and just throw all preparation and all consideration and all thought for the future to the wind. But if you do not have the capacity to bear any uncertainty, then you don't have the capacity to really be a Christian. There's an account recorded for us in Luke chapter 9 in which a would-be disciple, somebody who liked to think of themselves as a Christian, made the statement to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. Now, what's going on in the context here is Jesus is in Galilee. He is making his way south to Jerusalem, and he's going to pass through this sort of no-man's land called Samaria. The reason why I refer to it as no-man's land is because the Samaritans are biologically related to the Israelites. They had, however, unfortunately intermarried with a bunch of other different Gentile races. They had adopted certain religious practices which clearly flew in the face of the orthodoxy of the Jews. They built their own temple. They even had their own version of the Bible. They appointed their own priests. So not only were they intermarried and therefore no longer racially pure, speaking from the perspective of the Jews, they're heretics. So Jews, it says in the scriptures, have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, Jesus has already been there. He's already healed. He's already performed miracles. He has already proclaimed the kingdom. And now he's passing through a second time on his way to Jerusalem. As they come to a particular town, Jesus needs a place to stay for the night. And unfortunately, the Samaritans in that town, because he had already said that his face was set to go to Jerusalem, he was making his way to Jerusalem, the Samaritans in that town said, well, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, you can't stay here for the night. They refused him any lodging. They refused him any place to sleep. This isn't totally out of the blue for the Son of God. He was born in a barn after all. But he'd already been there. He'd already proclaimed the kingdom. He'd already worked miracles. He'd already healed. The reason why the Samaritans wouldn't accept him is because his face was set to go to Jerusalem. And the animosity was mutual, not just between the Jews, but also it was there with the Samaritans. And of course, you got James and John, the sons of thunder, who in that moment said, you want us to call down fire from heaven and just burn them all up? And of course, Jesus rebuked them, said, no, that's not necessary. And they made their way on to a new place, finding someplace else to sleep. It is in this moment that one of the many individuals following Jesus, pretending to being a Christian, made the audacious claim, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. To which Jesus replies to him, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But Jesus is homeless. Now, 
Not only is he homeless, but people refuse him a place to stay. He wants to de-glamorize it a bit in terms of what it means to follow him. Not only will following him result in hardship, not only will following him result in struggles and oppression, but you can't even really count on the people that you've blessed, that you've ministered to, to give you a place to stay. Can you bear uncertainty? And if I could just step back a second and ask you this question. When you disciple people, when you tell people about God, do you share with them the reality that it is not all going to be easy, and moreover, they will not always have complete certainty regarding what life may bring. Jesus sends out 12 guys. He sends them out. He says, don't go anywhere among the Gentiles. Don't go anywhere among the Samaritans. He says, go, preach, give. Those are his initial instructions. Now, as they're leaving, he gives them one additional command. He makes the statement here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. He says, uh, as they're going, acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And you're thinking, my goodness, he wouldn't even let him take a pair of shoes with him. That's not exactly correct. I'd like to just walk you through these two verses. First off, he says, no money. Basically, no silver, no copper. Uh, sorry, no gold, no silver, no copper. That's money in decreasing value. So he starts off with gold, the most expensive, the most valuable money, works his way to silver, works his way to copper. He says, don't take any money with you when you put it in your belts. They didn't have pockets. They didn't have blue jean jeans like what we have today with pockets sewn into them. So they would use these belts and then tucked into these belts would be little pockets sewn on. They would tuck their money into that. So his statement is, don't take your wallet along. Don't take any money with you when you go. And then he also makes the statement, no bag for your journey, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics. The idea here is that's going to carry through through all of these items. You don't need two tunics. You don't need two sandals. You don't need two staffs. You don't need multiple additional items when you go. A tunic is the uh, undergarment. It's like underwear. It's the thing that would be worn closest to your skin. And sometimes as they were to be traveling on the road, it was common for Jews to wear two tunics, so they'd have a change of tunics in case they were on the road for several days, but also for warmth. Uh, an extra layer of fabric would keep them warm during the cool nights. And Christ's instructions is you don't need two of those. And then he follows that up with sandals. You don't need two pairs of sandals. You don't need two bat. You don't need to take your bag. You don't need to take all of this stuff. In other words, when you go, go expecting to find shelter from the people you minister to. That's exactly what he says in verse 11 and following. He makes a statement, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Find a place that is worthy. Live with those people until your ministry is concluded. Once it's concluded, then you leave. But you just stay in that one town. You just stay there. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, how exactly is this uncertain? How exactly is this sort of living by faith? 
Well, we continue further. It says, verse 12, As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Verse 14, this is what constitutes a worthy person, whether or not they'll actually receive their guests. He makes the statement, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. In other words, you're to go to places, you're to preach the kingdom, you're to go preach, give, you're not to charge them money, and you're not to take any money with you. Now, we're immediately confronted with a little bit of a challenge. Number one, I don't charge them money, but I'm not taking any money. And I'm not charging them for my ministry, but I am expecting them to sort of meet my basic needs. Maybe a meal and a place to sleep. And yet Christ's statement to them is, yeah, don't even fully count on that. You'll find places as you go which will welcome you. You will find houses that are worthy. But there is the remote and distinct possibility here that as you go from village to village and from town to town, there will be some houses and some towns and some villages you come to in which they won't even receive you. Kick off the dust from your feet when you leave. And so here you are, you're a disciple of Christ, and you've just been told to go, preach, give, don't charge money, but depend and count upon the hospitality, but don't fully depend or count upon any hospitality. Easy enough, right? No sweat, I got this. Now, it's important to remember that this is a prelude to their further ministry. And it is not Jesus' intention that they will go throughout the rest of their lives with such scarce and meager provisions. Christ makes this statement. Don't flip there. Just listen. Luke 22, 35 to 36. In Luke 22, it says, He said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? In other words, when I sent you out with nothing and you had no promise of anything and you had no hope of any place to even stay, did you guys lack anything? And their response is, they said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag, that is a wallet, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak in order to buy one. In other words, later on, and Luke 22, this is as he's coming to the end of his ministry. This is, he's entered into those last dark days before he is to be crucified. His instructions to them towards the end of his time discipling them is, now I want you to take money with you. Now I want you to make adequate provisions. And you know what? It's dangerous out there. So yes, even a sword for self-protection. So Christ, at the end of his ministry, says, make provisions, but at the beginning of his ministry, he says, don't make any provisions. What's he doing? Why is it okay for him at the end to say, take stuff with you, but at the beginning to say, just walk by faith? Well, that's the answer to the question. Jesus' desire for you and me is that all that we have, our houses, our money, our possessions, our time, 
that we would use it to a good purpose for the building of his kingdom. We're called to do that. So if there is missionary effort, if there's something we need to do, if we need to share Christ with our neighbor, if we need to take a friend out to dinner in order to have a conversation with them, in order that we can tell them more about Jesus, or if there's someone who needs to go deeper in their faith and, and we need to get, aside, get alone with them in order to tell them about these things, we're called to bear the cost for all of that. Now, well, we got to pay for that stuff. So that money has to come out of our checkbook. That money has to come out of our wallet. So it's prudent for us as Christians, as we're thinking about how we're going to minister and how we're going to disciple people for the sake of the kingdom, to give a lot of thought and a lot of attention to how we're going to manage and steward our resources in order to be faithful to our king in order to accomplish the Great Commission. But that's not the first lesson. While it's prudent and wise to give a lot of thought to how we're going to use our resources. The first lesson, the most basic, most elemental item of Christianity has to be learning to trust Jesus. Learning to bear uncertainty. I remember a number of years ago, I was uh, an undergraduate at Dallas Baptist University I was preparing for the ministry. Um, and for those of you who are Studio 32-7 kids and teenagers, listen to me, listen carefully, because this applies to you. I was taking Greek class. I had two classes. I had spiritual formation, which was kind of a blow-off class. I, I hate to say it. Your, your job is to journal and to reflect and to read the Bible and have sort of a, a time with God. I took it seriously. Many others didn't. The professor was full of grace. Did you read your Bible this week? Yes. Did you read it every day? No. That's okay. You still get an A. <laughs> this is what we are. We're all about grace and spiritual formation. It's really hard to say, I'm here to teach you about Jesus, and I'm going to just stick it to you in the great book. Uh, you know, no, no self-respecting spiritual formation teacher could, could really do that. So, uh, of course, then you have other classes like Greek, where you really wanted the grace. And, of course, are they going to give you grace? No way. Greek is Greek. You either know it or you don't. You either pass the test or you fail, fail, fail. We, uh, we had a professor, though, who was a, a caring and compassionate man, which is good. Most, most professors in seminary really are, I mean, they're Christians. They love the Lord. They do care about you. So they, they are prone to be forgiving and, and to have a lot of grace. This, this individual, he told us at the very beginning of the semester, he said, you know, my number one job here isn't to be your friend. It isn't to be your buddy. You know, I mean, we're Christians. We're brothers and all that. That's great. But my number one job here is for you to learn the Greek language. So I'm in a bit of a tense situation here. I want you to learn Greek, but I also want you and me to be brothers in Christ, so I want to love you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you on the front end. We've got 10 quizzes two tests, a midterm and a final. Every week you have a quiz, and then at the seven-week mark, you've got a midterm, and at the 14-week mark, you've got your final exam. It's cumulative. Any language that you learn is cumulative. It's like if you learn the ABCs on day one, you'll need to learn those and know those for day two and following. It's really hard to learn Greek if you don't even know the Greek alphabet. So he made this deal. He said, here's the deal. I will drop, at the end of the semester, your two lowest quizzes. There's no curve. 
Beyond that, there's no other grace. And so we did it that way. I had to apply herself, had to work hard, and at the end of the semester, he dropped our two lowest grades. Now, what was interesting was a second week in, learning stuff like prepositions or basic present active indicative verbs. I mean, just the basic stuff. You know, <laughs> blepo, I see, akuo, I hear, you know, just, just basic, basic stuff, right? Um, and yet, Christian men studying for the ministry would say to themselves, hey, I got a lot of our homework to do this week, and I get two free drops, two free give-me's. So I'll just blow this off and not study this this week, and I'll just turn in a zero on the quiz on Friday, and I'll focus on my other work, and then I'll, I'll just do that once or twice, and then I'll really apply myself. Teenagers, hear me. It, that's not good. That's not good. I will not tell you whether or not your pastor did such a thing, but I will tell you this. There were other students who did, for sure. <laughs> And they suffered miserably for it, okay? They suffered for it. You cannot advance in any subject. You cannot go deeper in any item if you don't learn the basics. You're never going to be able to read Greek out of a Greek New Testament if you don't even know the alphabet. And you're thinking, oh, sure, that's, that's easy. You just learn the letters and the sounds that they make. No, no, no. That's true. But you also need to learn the actual Greek alphabet and the order in which the letters go in the alphabet because the book you use the most often is going to be the dictionary. And so if you can't even tell where to find things in the dictionary, you're going to be really struggling. So when your teachers say you really need to learn the alphabet, that's not just for fun and games. That's serious. You want to look something up in a dictionary somewhere on down the road, you don't need to just know the letters and the sounds that they make. You need to know the alphabet. Things are structured a certain way in order to facilitate your learning down the road. It's the same principle here, church. Jesus is making disciples. The idea is all that we are, all that we will ever become, and all that we have will always be used for His glory. Do you really think we're going to be in the best position to steward our resources for His kingdom, our blessing, His glory, if we haven't learned the very basic lesson of trusting Him with nothing? And having no expectation of anything. Christ is making disciples and he sends them out with nothing and no promise of anything. Do you think they're nervous? Yeah, they are. I, uh, I used to run the intern program here. Um, I don't anymore. Ryan Blyenberg that, handles that. For those of you who are new here, we get about three or four interns that come every, every summer. They spend the summer with us. They do different things. When I was running the intern program, I had a very basic exercise that I stole from Jesus. So uh, interns would come, and uh, we would sit down. We'd talk about what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to minister and to go out and meet people in Kamloops and, and to share your faith with them. And I, I had this basic activity that I would do. 
We're in, this is back when we were meeting over at Ninth Avenue. We're at Ninth Avenue, and I would talk to them about what it mean, what we're trying to do here, what our vision, our goal, our strategy, all that kind of, you know, big word stuff. And then I'd say, okay, so here's how we're going to do this. I want you guys to go to these locations, and I would randomly assign different locations around Kamloops to them. And I would say, I want you to go there, I want you to meet somebody that's there and get their story, and then come back here. For most of these students, they're from the States. This is a foreign country. Uh, they don't know Kamloops. They don't know anywhere around Kamloops. And they don't know how to get to where it is. I've just told them to go. Now, what, what do you think that they're really going to have to do in that moment to accomplish my assignment? They're going to have to go out of those front doors of the church building, walk somewhere, anywhere, meet someone, anyone, and ask them, where is this place? And hand out their little piece of paper. And of course, that person's then going to say, what? <laughs> why are you trying to get here? Or you don't know where this place is on this little piece of notebook paper? Like, what, why do you have this written out on this notebook paper in the first place? And immediately, they're going to have to start talking to that person. I, uh, I was doing this for a number of years, and I, I called up uh, my director, and I said, do you think it would be okay if I could just send them somewhere overnight and that they'd have to find some place to sleep? And he was like, no, 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 you're, gone. you're taking this thing way too far. Don't do that. That's, that's out of hand. We'll get sued. Something crazy will happen. So, uh, of course, I, I couldn't do that. I think the last time I managed it was, was with Ryan Levi, when Ryan Levi was an intern here. And he can probably tell you about that experience. The world is a frightening place. Oh, my goodness, I've got to get on this bus and go somewhere. I don't even know where I'm going. But God walks with you through it. Jesus' statement in Luke says, I sent you out with nothing. I gave you promises for nothing. Did you lack anything? No. We didn't lack anything. Church, listen to me. The one who says, go, preach, give, is the one who walks with you who provides for you, who shelters you. When he says, go, preach, give, it's him who's going with you, who's empowering your preaching, who's sheltering you and meeting your needs so that you can focus on giving. Regardless of where you are at in your walk with Christ, regardless of how good a job you think you're doing in terms of managing your resources for his kingdom. If you haven't learned to bear uncertainty, if you haven't learned to walk with Jesus, knowing ultimately he's going to provide, but you have no idea how, then despite however good a job you think you're doing, I assure you, you could be doing it better. This applies to us very much so for where we are at in the life of Bridge Baptist Church in this season that we're in right now. We have a number of individuals for the vision committee that are conducting interviews, that are going around talking to individuals and collecting data. And they're asking the question, what do you think God has for the future of our church? Now, there are a couple of different proposals on the, on the table there are other things that you're just free to share if you, if you have something totally out of left field that you just feel like God has laid on your heart. You, you have the freedom to share all of that and to discuss all of that. Here's my fear. 
as we talk about what the next 10, 20, 30 years of the life of Bridge Baptist Church looks like, I fear that our first inclination as we ponder these different options is to look at our bank account and to say, what's the best we can do with how much money we have in the bank? That is not a prayerful, God-focused response. See, we're not sending ourselves. We're, We're not telling ourselves to go and to tell people about Jesus. Jesus is saying, go, preach, give, which means it's his mission, which means as we engage in this mission, we're following him, which means we've got to trust him which means that as we pray about and as we think about and as we talk about with the VPT committee, where we feel God is leading us as a church to fulfill to the best of our ability the Great Commission here in Kamloops over the next 20, 30, 40 years, the last thing we should really be overly worried about is how much money is in the bank right now at this moment or how many leaders we have in the room to manage kids or how we would be able to pull off any of the other things that have been proposed. The only question that we really need to ask and the only thing we really need to be talking about the Father as we get on our knees before Him is, Lord, this is Your work and we are Your servants. What would You have us to do? This poor fellow, we don't know his name, He says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus doesn't say, don't follow me. It's a lot tougher than you think. Nowhere in there does he say, don't follow me. He deglamorizes it and he makes the statement, I don't have anywhere to sleep. Now, he doesn't seem overly worried about that, having just been removed from Samaria. The implied question is, if you want to follow me, can you bear uncertainty? That's what Jesus is really saying. And that's the real lesson here in Matthew chapter 10. Let's bow for a word of prayer.